Welcome to the Decades of Strength podcast. We are Kim, Marcy, and Katie. We are three women on one mission. We are obsessed with empowering women to gain confidence, build strength, and ditch feelings of unworthiness. So grab your chair, come sit at our table, and let's talk. Welcome to the Decades of Strength podcast, The Reboot. I'm Kim Schlag. I will be moderating our chat today. And joining me, as always, is the lovely Marcy Nevin. Hi, Marcy. Hi, Kimmy. How are you? So good to be back. Yes. So happy to be back chatting with you. And we have with us introducing our brand new co-host, Miss Katie Crocus. Hi, Katie. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you two amazing women. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you on there. I'm happy to be back from our surprise hiatus from podcasting. The last episode I recorded with the decades was the first week of November 2020. I was a week into what would become a three-month battle back to health. I was incredibly ill. I was laying on the floor of my closet because my kitchen was being redone and there was all this noise. I was very sick, but I was still in that mindset of like the show must go on. I realized soon thereafter, like it was not going on, at least not with me. And then the rest of the ladies decided they would take a break until I was better, which was many, many months. And here we are. (laughs) Here we are. Marcy, why don't you fill in everyone um, on um, Sarah and Sam and where they're at? Sure. So Sarah and Sam have just taken different directions with their businesses, which it happens. We all grow and evolve and become interested in different things. So right now, from what I know, because, you know, it's unfortunate that Instagram likes to change the algorithm and play tricks with you because I rarely see Sarah's content anymore. And it used to be one of the first stories that came up, one of the first posts that came up. So unless I am really making an effort to go look to see what's Sarah up to, I really don't have that much of an idea Um, or reach out to her, you know, via text message. So from what I know now, she has transitioned more into life coaching and now relationship coaching, which is amazing. So for those of you who remember, and if there are any new listeners to the Decades of Strength, Sarah lives in London and she has been single for a very long time. So she decided during quarantine to pass the time, perhaps, that she was going to get on the dating apps. And she ended up meeting a lovely gentleman in New York, of all places. Sarah lives in London and they have been dating now for... It's been at least nine months, mm-hmm. maybe a year. I think it's been a year. It's pro- I think it's been a year. Yes. So they have not yet met in person. The latest update that I got was that they do get to meet in June. So we will see. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess that she used that experience and, you know, all the, the inner work that she has had to do on herself to meet or manifest this amazing man And now she is applying that to the coaching space and helping people not only with their, you know, the relationship that they have with themselves, but also in attracting a partner. So that's kind of what Sarah is up to. And and to be honest, I don't really know what the hell Sam is up to. (laughs) It's something new every day. Sam (laughs) is always doing something else. She's life coaching. Little bit of health coaching. 
yeah, yeah. She's, she's yeah. awesome. Yeah, she's great. She's awesome. And, so and she, you know, I like, I have to stop and not compare myself to Sam and all the things that she's doing. But um, <laughs> for any of the listeners, I do a lot of things with like different types of personality tests. So there's something called human design. There's the Enneagram. Sam is what's called a manifesting generator. And she has a seven uh, Enneagram, which basically makes her like the most powerhouse entrepreneur because she can just like go, go, go all day long. And she can have tons of ideas and execute or implement on all of them. So that is what she's up to working one-on-one with clients, doing courses, doing business coaching, um, but, but more, yes, helping people more with the relationship with their body and themselves while also, you know, trying to, I think sometimes lose weight in the process, but more body image stuff. So, so sometimes you and I have to talk about all this. Per- I've never done these personality test things. And I always see people saying what they are and I don't know what the heck I am. So you'll have uh, to I can get, I could probably guess what you are, but you can? Uh, yeah, we'll have to do it. Yeah. All right. Well, don't tell me till after I do some of the testing. Cause then I don't want to skew the results. And I'll be like, wait, no, I'm supposed <laughs> human, to be this human design. <laughs> human design is fascinating. It's a little, it's very intricate. So it kind of goes over my head sometimes, but the test takes literally less than a minute to do. So it's well, not less a, than a minute. Not, yeah. All you need is your birth date, your birth time and your location. And then you can find it out. I'll send you the link when we're off the show. All right. Well, how do they know about my personality? Just by my birth date, my birth it, time and my location. That's what's like really complicated about it is it's a compilation of like various things. So like astrology and I don't even, I don't want to butcher it, but um, yeah. Okay. So it's there's a lot that goes into it. We should do it. All right, I'll do it. I do will you know do yours? it. Katie, do you know yours? You told me mine, Marcy. And oh, then I, I went did. back and confirmed it. Like I actually called my mom and I was like, do you have my birth certificate? I need the, to the minute, no, when I was born. And it's been really eye-opening and interesting to kind of do some things with that in mind. And I can't remember what it is, that, which one I fell into. I want to say, is it, oh, I, I don't remember, so I'm not going to say it. But uh, I found like meditations that actually do, uh, that, that are designed for my human design. And it really is wild how connected I feel with this information. So oh, you're going to have to send me the meditations for sure. Yes. Insight Timer has them. But yes, I was oh, going perfect. Away. Perfect. Well, so you need to know your birth time down to the minute. I think yeah, as close hours, to it. it's pretty. Okay. I, I'll have to call my mom. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'll figure that part out. So when Marcy and I spoke about continuing on with the decades of strength without Sarah and Sam, we wanted to keep the format of women in different ages and stages of life coming together. Enter. Katie Crocus. And so the first part of this episode, we want you to have a chance to get to know Katie. So we're going to do a bit of a hot seat here. Marcy and I both have a few questions prepared and we're going to go back and forth and ask Katie those questions. Sound good, Katie? Here we go. They won't be hard. (laughs) This isn't a quiz. (laughs) No wrong answers when I'm just talking about myself. Yes. It's just about yourself. All right, so let's start with this. Give us three to five things that people have to know about you to understand who you are and where you're coming from. So, okay, well, I guess I I have to start with the fact that most of my life was really kind of rooted in limiting beliefs. Like the person that you see on Instagram today is not the person that I was even five or eight years ago and certainly not 
as a child, a teenager, a college student, um, I was really sort of limited by my own beliefs for a long, long time and, and, and lived in what I thought was uh, something of a scarcity mindset. And I always thought that I had to achieve in a way and overachieve to meet the definition of success that was determined by somebody else. Like somebody else was already always setting my boundaries for me or always benchmarking what success would look like. And that's a really exhausting way to live. And so I brought a lot of baggage with me into my 40s. I'm 42 now. And it wasn't really until I um, had children and Kim, you and I were talking earlier and they sort of got to the age that they didn't need me so much. And there was a lot more like quiet in my world, the noise kind of set away um, that I had the opportunity to figure out like, who am I and what do I want? And, and like, what is my life if I'm not trying to like live for somebody else? And that's really what's brought me to where I am today. Like the last three to five years has been uh, a lot of taking these beliefs about how I needed to look and how I needed to execute. I'm an Enneagram three, if anyone wants to know. Um, and, and, and with that achieving, it was really meaningful to me, but I needed to find a way to do it on my own terms. So cut to today. And, and now I'm, I'm still like a, gosh, I, I, I'm a recipe developer. I'm a mom to three. Um, and I'm always searching for ways to be more self-actualized uh, because I feel like there's just constantly room to grow and constantly room to get better. Um, but I'm just kind of now stepping into my own as like the, the lead in my own life. And uh, it's, it's pretty freaking amazing. I love that. Wow. That was fantastic. That three to five or was that more like two dozen? Sorry, ladies. We'll, we'll let it slide. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Marcy, your turn. Okay. So speaking of recipe development, that is how I got to know you, Katie, because my good friend, our good friend, Jamie Morocco, who is another fitness coach, she posted about you on her stories. And I was like, Oh, who is this woman? I don't know who that is. And usually Jamie and I follow a lot of the same people. So I remember her saying something about you being a recipe developer. And I was like, oh, I wonder if she could create recipes for my clients, <laughs> offers anything like that. Uh, because Kim and I will tell you or tell the listeners that we do not do recipes. Do we, Kim? <laughs> I <laughs> look, guys, I can cook. Recipes. I just don't like it. I don't like it. It's not like I don't wake up in the morning and think like, what kind of recipe can I make today? <laughs> so it, it's interesting because I actually, I love to cook. I'm very good at it. I've, you know, taken over Thanksgiving dinner and holidays. So it is a creative kind of therapeutic outlet for me. I love baking. If I could go back and do it all over again, I probably would be a baker. Um, interesting. And did, I, did you not know? So I was married in a previous life and I had 230 people at my wedding and I baked all of the desserts for it. Oh my gosh. I think I do remember you saying that now. Like yeah. weeks to do. But anyway, so I love, I love to bake. I love to cook, but I, it's one of those things where I'm so, and I hate this word busy in my life. I just don't want to spend the time cooking elaborate recipes and trying to track the macros on them. So I just keep it super simple. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how I came across Katie like, all right, if I have clients that might need help with recipes or some more creative ideas, who could I use to help me with that? So I went to Katie's page and I was like, oh my gosh, this woman 
mm-hmm. is just so amazing. Not only with the recipes, but just who she is as a person. I resonated with everything. And I kind of felt like you were my long lost sister, Katie. Um, so, so I kind of want to know more about the recipe development side of your business, how you got into it. And then also, and this is something that I've been curious about with food bloggers or anyone who takes recipes and makes them for lack of a better word, healthier mm-hmm. or more macro friendly, we'll say, how do you go about the recipe development process. So are these ones that you come up with on your own or do you get inspiration from other people and you tweak it? So I've always been obsessed with food. I, and I think a lot of people can relate to that statement and that sentiment. Um, but I feel like I found such like immeasurable joy from consuming it. And actually, uh, like, I think it's my love language, immense joy, like consuming it, but then also creating it and sharing it. Um, which is all well and good, but I, I, I think in my journey, I sort of um, you began coping with my emotions with food and it sort of became a crutch for me. And so I was creating some, I was, I've always been someone who's been, who's tried to be creative with food, but it wasn't necessarily for the greater good. Like I was that girl in probably like the late nineties who was subbing applesauce for oil and brownies and like eating the whole batch. And I think a lot of women my age can kind of relate to that because there was a time when like that's what it was it was the no those were the no fat days right so like you could sub things like that and a recipe would quote unquote work and I was like I was always disappointed (laughs) and I felt like there's got to be a better way um and and then so that sort of and that would go back and forth between sort of like you know bad sort of food behavior not great choices when it came to mindset and then I'd be like, you know what? I just want to do a real deal chocolate chip cookie, but I want to do it with my own spin on it. And so I would, you know, work in something like white whole wheat flour or some oats because I like the nuttiness or I use almond extract instead of vanilla extract and just kind of do real small tweaks that wouldn't necessarily change the chemistry of it. So it would still turn out, but then I could be like, this is my recipe, right? Even though it's like on the Nestle Toll House cookies, I just, I made some changes with things that I actually really enjoy. So that's sort of where like the genesis was, but um, I, and, and I, I evolved not really, I was really afraid of raw meat for a long time. Like when my husband and I first got married, if we were having meat for dinner and I was making dinner that night, he would have to cook the meat and then I would assemble the dinner and have it ready when he got home, but I was not touching raw meat. So it, it took me a little while to sort of settle in and, and get- What was that about, Katie? Like you didn't like the look of it, the taste, the, the smell the, of it? It creeped me out. Like I just couldn't, I could, it's like, if I had to make like a hamburger patty with ground beef, like I would rather die. I was like, there is no way I'm touching raw meat. And it's funny, I, th- I think back and now like I'll get on, you know, Instagram live and I'll pick up chicken breasts and I have people like giving me like the big wide-eyed emoji, like you're touching that. <laughs> like, so I, I know it's it's not necessarily comfortable for a lot of people, but I came from a place where I was just it was it was basic, okay. Um, and then as I as it evolved, I really found a lot of joy and inspiration in taking comfort foods or taking family foods or chilies or things that were just like family style um, that you know you could serve at a party and everyone would like, like maybe macaroni and cheese and finding a way to just make it a little bit healthier, finding a way to sneak in some vegetables. One of the first things I ever did was um, create a macaroni and cheese recipe where instead of cheese, I use butternut squash. 
and there was some cheese, but like the, the, the creaminess factor came from butternut squash. And so that was always my goal. Like, what can I do to just make like, get one serving of vegetables in? Um, and in, in, it actually really transitioned really beautifully into creating macro-friendly dishes because there's a lot you can do to make something really high protein and low fat and moderate carb and still taste really amazing. And that became the new goal for me. And it was pretty exciting because I was putting food on the table that my whole family was eating, but everybody really enjoyed. And I could also hit these targets that I had in an effort to lose some fat. So um, it sort of just snowballed from there. And I started to share them with friends and post them a little bit here and there on Instagram. And I had no intention of ever creating a book, but all of a sudden the recipes just grew so much that I had to just like bind them and share them and kind of make it official. And so do you have a recipe book, Katie? I have, I've written, I've written four and I currently have two available. So um, they've evolved a little bit because as I, I, my website is really not, I was not built to grow the sort of the way I did, the way, the way my business has evolved. And so I don't really have a website that has a blog with all the recipes. Everything is searchable on my Instagram. And I also have a, a couple of, PDFs available on my Shopify page. And then I have one printed copy that I'm currently still sharing a little bit of. I'm not reprinting it. It's called the special edition and it's special edition because it's a compilation of almost all the recipes I've ever created. Um, but I'm not gonna keep building all of that into the same book. I'm working on a new book right now. And so I have the special edition that has like 50 recipes. And then I have another PDF that has like another 20 more and hopefully toward the end of the year, I'm going to do um, my, my next sort of hard copy book. It's gonna be called Food for Thought and it's going to be certainly macro-friendly recipes but I'm also gonna include some things that my kids have helped me create that are more family-friendly. And there's gonna be some more dialogue around intuitive eating and sort of transitioning from macro tracking in an effort to lose fat to making it more lifestyle. Nice. That's I love fascinating. That. I love That's that title. Cool. Talk to me in October. We'll see how I'm doing. <laughs> so I, I, have heard, I have heard that the book writing process, whether it's a recipe book or just a book in general is one of the most stressful things that you can do. Do you feel, did you feel that? Yes. In fact, I launched my first one on March 13th. And if you remember, almost everybody knows March 13th, 2020, right? That was the day that the world shut mm -hmm. down and everything changed. And so that was kind of a stressful time leading up to it. I was, I was exhausted and I was tired. And then I, I launched this book and um, did not rest for about six months. I barely slept. I uh, was constantly trying to stay on top of everything I needed to do to keep the ball rolling. And all of that in the context of what we are experiencing like in our homes and outside of our homes. And, and even, during a time when I was, you know, definitely at maintenance calories and not working out too much, I burned myself out big time with the stress of continuing to build my business and grow that book. And mm -hmm. um, I lost, I, I like in the process, cortisol and stress and lack of sleep stole a lot from me in terms of health. And so I am taking this one much slower. And the, to me, there is no timeline. The timeline is it's finished when it's finished and I'd love to have it done by fall. But if I don't, then it'll be done when it's done. I like that. 
I love that. I like that. Yeah, because I, I follow a lot of people who write books and we in the health space. And they said that writing a book is one of the worst things that you can do for your health because of oh. the stress. And it's like, oh, so counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the thing is too, I love it. So it's not, it was really, I hesitate to use this word, but easy for me to dive right in and put 12 to 14 working hours a day against it because I loved it. And it, I didn't feel like it was robbing me of anything. And I was also under this mindset where I was like, Katie, make hay while the sun shines. There's actually people interested in this. So if you have, you know, 200 people who have questions, you better turn around and get 200 answers out. So, mm-hmm. so they're not feeling neglected or that, that, you know, that you don't care when in fact, like there's nothing I care about more. And I think that's where the disconnect was for a while. There was nothing I cared about more. And that was not a good place to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Katie, you mentioned your kids, tell us their ages and then tell us how does being a mom of kids younger kids impact the decisions you make about your health and fitness? Yeah, well, they are seven, nine and 11 and they've been watching me through this process um, with wide eyes for probably the last two years, I'd say. Um, Before I started to share things publicly, there was really, I didn't, I wasn't as, they were so young that I didn't have to really worry too much about anything. We sort of just lived our lives. And if I was eating something different than they were eating, like it wasn't a big deal because frankly, one of them didn't feel like chicken nuggets one night. I didn't care. I said, have cereal. So like, it wasn't a weird thing. If we sort of just all piecemealed our meals together, we were in survival mode when they were baby, when they were under, you know, like eight and under, it just didn't matter. Um, but then as I started to grow, I, I realized that, you know, the stakes had never been higher. And there were a lot of things I wanted to do differently than my own mom did in our home. And I grew up, I never grew up feeling like I needed to lose weight or um, change my body or anything like that. But I do know that I felt like there was a lot of foods that I wasn't allowed to have. And so that's, there are no limits on anything in our house. So my kids all understand macros. They all understand what, carbs, fat, and protein are, and why it's important to have that balance in your life. Um, But then they also understand that if they want to have a couple Oreo cookies on their lunch plate, that's fine. It's not like you have to eat this in order to get that. Nothing is transactional in our house. That's something I'm really careful about. I never want them to think if this, then that, because food shouldn't be that way, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. certainly not for children. Um, And so they understand that if they want to, if they don't like something that we're having and they want to choose something on their own, they can, but the expectation is that it has protein, fat, and carbs in it. And, um, they know how to do that. And it's just something that I feel like is sort of a life skill, like riding a bike or tying your shoes. Like it doesn't get top billing in our family dinner conversations. It's just like something that we sort of circulate alongside of all the other things that we feel like are really important. Like, are you a good human being? That's just Mm -hmm. a kind of a life skill that I want to make sure that they feel comfortable with. That's incredible because most grownups don't know that information, right? Right. The women that I work with now, and I think it's a big issue. You know, I wish these were things that were taught in school, right? That like, here's how you make a healthy meal. Here's what a carb is. Here's what a fat is. Here's what a protein is. Here's how to do it, right? Why are kids not learning this in school? I think it's fantastic. You're teaching that to them in the home. I think we're going to end up, if more people do that, we're going to end up with a generation who does not have an obesity crisis Mm -hmm. if we can get that kind of stuff going. 
Yeah. And yeah. the mindset piece too, that there is nothing that should be eliminated. There's mm-hmm. everything is important and you need it. It's about having enough of everything, not about, oh, you don't deserve that. Or you haven't earned the right to that. It's like, no, we, we have to meet the certain level um, to keep our bodies healthy. And so if we are not, if, you know, we're only having like macaroni and cheese, we're missing out on some really great things in our body, um, really great nutrition that's going to make us feel really good. So it's, it's just about having enough and it's never about too much. I love that. I love that. Mars. Super simple, but going back to the recipes, what is your favorite recipe to create? Gosh, comfort food is my favorite. I love casseroles. Like I think I was, I was a child of the eighties, right? So like things like hamburger helper um, and my mom really didn't make those types of food very often. And so I always, so those are the ones I gravitate toward. Like I like to take things that are your typical comfort foods and find a spin on them um, again to incorporate vegetables. So things like things like lasagna with like butternut squash and zucchini. I love things with layers. I love the challenge of working with something like, um, well, zucchini is a good example because it's, it's typically difficult to work with because there's so much moisture in it and it can really throw a dish off, but finding the right balance of other ingredients to absorb that water and keep the nutrition because a lot of people will have you, and I don't know if ladies you've cooked with zucchini before, but frequently, the suggestion is to, to let it sweat, like put some salt on it and let all the water drain or to squeeze all the water out. Squeeze it out. Yeah. Well, guess where all the nutrition in the zucchini is? It's in that moisture, right? Oh. You're literally squeezing out all the micronutrients when you're getting rid of that water. So what I like to do is find a way to incorporate some other ingredients to absorb that nutrition so you're not actually squeezing it out. Does that make Wait, sense? So tell us what are some of the yeah. things that, that absorb it? What are some of the so, things? So is- zucchini pumpkin oat bars are the ones that most yeah, people- Yeah, you're like, so like apparently famous for this. When, familiar. I, when I started following you, I go to your stories and everybody's commenting on your ZPOs. I'm like, what the heck is a ZPO? I had- I did not research. come up with the term ZPO. I'm not sure who did, but it's hysterical that it actually is a hashtag. Like ZPO it is, is people follow. Search it, everyone listening. So, so tell me, what is in a zucchini pumpkin? Is it pumpkin? Yeah, zucchini yeah. pumpkin oat bar. I mean, so it is oats, it is um, pumpkin, it is egg whites, it is zucchini, and I use PE Science protein powder because that's a whey casein blend, which means it's going to bake very well. And then baking powder and cinnamon. And if you like other flavors, I always encourage people to add like some, if you like stevia, you could add like a teaspoon of vanilla, or if you like like a cake batter extract or an almond extract, you could certainly put that in. Add chocolate chips, add nuts, add berries, add lemon, um, add blueberries. You can do what you want with, you know, everything, all the add-ins, but the basics are, it's very simple. It's oats, pumpkin, zucchini, eggs. And, and is it a dessert? Is it a snack? What is it? It's a bar. It's a bake. It's like, if you ever bake like oatmeal, uh, or it's like yeah. a bake, Okay. It's like baked bars. It's almost, it comes out very much like a cake. Got it. And do you, when do you eat it in your day? I, every morning it's my pre-workout. So I, this, and it, and I say every morning, what year is it? We're in 2021, probably every morning since like 2016, I've been eating this and making this in, in some version since probably about 2016. I used to make it for my kids when they were babies in like little cups. Um, like those little silicone cups and uh-huh. they would, and they would eat it. I wouldn't do the protein powder for the babies, but, um, I would do sugar back then. Um, and, uh, it was just, it was, 
it came from a time when I really thought I had to eliminate certain things though. So like, it, you know, I didn't, there was no gluten and there was no sugar and um, there was very little fat. Like I was using egg whites. So it's not necessarily something that like I hang my hat on that I'm like, oh, I'm so super proud of where all this came from, but it's evolved in a way that allows me to kind of structure it for my goals. And it is a recipe that just, just doesn't fail for me. And I know sometimes people will have concerns that they say, oh, the moisture content's not right, or I can't get it to bake. And, you know, overall, it is a really forgiving recipe. But one of the things that people tend to do is not use the protein powder that I suggest and then add too much water. And back to the zucchini and the nutrition, you can't mm -hmm. add water if you're not going to use protein powder. That's Those two are sort of going to cancel each other out. And then the oats will go ahead and absorb all that moisture from the zucchini, um, which is back to your question, Kim, why you can put those ingredients together and make it mm -hmm. work. So you have to use the protein powder. You can't just be like, if you add water, you have to use Got the protein it. powder. If Got you, it. if you don't want to use the protein powder, just do not add any water. And then I've seen people putting, I'd never heard of this before. I watched your stories, putting something called cocoa bar in a jar on top of this. Oh. And it looks like icing or Nutella. What is you that? Okay. Kim, I'm sending you some cocoa bar in a jar. So I'm Marcy, are you familiar with cocoa bar? I am familiar with it, but I've never tried it myself. So what exactly is it? So it's a, um, a, a coconut oil based spread of some sort, I would say. And I feel, I, I wish I was more prepared to discuss all the details of it. There's only a couple ingredients in it, um, but the fat comes and it, the fat comes from coconut oil. It's stevia sweetened and there's a couple different flavors and there's um, a chocolate brownie and there's iced oatmeal cookie and there's peanut butter cup and there's thin mint. And they are all extraordinary when it comes to um, wholesome ingredients. Monique, the woman who created this brand actually started by just making candy and then it would melt because it was coconut oil based. And then it would, it would turn into like this really nice, spreadable, delicious frosting almost, but it was all wholesome ingredients. Like there was just no crap in it. Um, and so it is a really perfect complement to like a warm for me cake. It's, it's like a frosting, but it also, not only is it delicious, but then it hits the mark because it adds some fat. Because as I mentioned, there's really mm. no fat in these bars. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. And when I sit down, I, I'm not going to eat something with no fat in it or I'll be hungry in 12 minutes. And mm -hmm. I'm not there with that either. And what are the macros like on it as far as calories? So I've got uh, them pulled up if you want it. <laughs> uh, did you, what did you say? I pulled it up. Did, did you, you pull, pull up, up the macros? Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. So, rattle them off. So I'm not guessing. Ingredients. Uh, quick question for you because I, I do have food intolerances, so I cannot have peanuts, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Do they all have peanuts? Is that the Some base? have cashews. I, okay. think, I think the iced almond cookie is cashew based and some have almonds. So okay. she has a variety. Cashew is the superior nut, in my opinion. I would agree. <laughs> not Tastes even wild. a nut. Not even a nut. It's a legume. Well, peanuts and cashews are both legumes. Anyway, moving on. Um, okay, so ingredients for one, peanuts, coconut butter, turbinado sugar, cocoa butter, cocoa powder, carob powder, stevia, and sea salt. Okay, sorry. I was saying coconut oil, but it's coconut butter. Sorry. Okay. Which, which is, again, superior. Coconut butter, if you have not tried it, is delicious yeah. and interesting. So in one, uh, two tablespoons, eight grams of fat, 12 grams of carbs, three grams of fiber, five grams of protein. So half the so fat of a regular nut butter, a little bit mm -hmm. higher in carbs, um, mm -hmm. 140 calories. So for two and tablespoons, the calories are less 
than peanut butter. Peanut butter. Yeah. Okay. I, I usually have one tablespoon. If there's one thing about cocoa bar in a jar, it's that a little bit goes a long way in terms of flavor. It's I, I have a mug cake creation with mm-hmm. cocoa bar in a jar as well. And it's unbelievable how light it is in macros for the flavor. It's it basically, it's a lava cake. Like if you've ever gone to a restaurant and gotten a chocolate lava cake, yeah. you know, I mean, you don't, you don't go to get a chocolate lava cake unless you're really feeling indulgent, but this tastes just like it for 150 calories. And I really believe it's because of the, all right. I want to try that. Yeah. Yeah. Get that recipe from you. Yes. I'd be happy to share it for sure. Wow. We should, we should put that in the show notes or something. I'll link to it. Yeah. That's incredible. Absolutely. Let me, I, I'll send you the link. Yeah. Fabulous. All right, Marcy, I think we're up to you for a question. I, I've totally lost track now. This is a fascinating no, discussion. Talking about food, so. I could talk about food all day. Uh, <laughs> no, we're back to you, Kim, because I asked for a favorite recipe. Oh, okay. Got it. Um, all right. Well, let's talk, let's move into this subject. Then I know a big part of your recent fitness journey has been an extended maintenance phase. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a subject that many people don't quite get yet. Like, is this for me? Why would I do that? What are the benefits? So why don't we take a deep dive into maintenance? We can kind of all chime in with our personal experiences and those of our clients. Katie, tell us about your maintenance phase. So I spent, and up until very recently when I've been living in a surplus, probably since November, I spent about three years in maintenance and realized that that is where the magic actually happens. Like that is where you thrive. That is where you live. That is where we are meant to be. And people look at maintenance as this period of like this uneasy state of purgatory, right? It's like, Mm. how long do I have to be here before I can cut again? And totally squander that time. You can make some incredible gains, not just in body, but in mind during that time. And to race through it, just to dive into a cut again, does you a disservice in so many ways. So for me, what got me into maintenance was I, I, I had some really fast success with macro tracking back in 2016. And I dropped like 10 or 15 pounds super fast. And, you know, back, you know, old former, like, binary, good, bad, right, wrong, all or nothing mindset. Katie said, well, obviously if you, you know, if you lost 15 pounds in two months, you should just cut calories and go two more months and see what's going to happen. And I think we all know how that story ends, right? Like you gain all the weight back. And so I had to take a little break from macro tracking and eventually I got back into lifting weights and I started, I began strength training around the same time I started to just track my calories. I wasn't even tracking macros. I was just tracking calories. And all of a sudden I saw incredible body change, body composition change, just from keeping calories the same, tracking them and lifting weights. Cut to my old habits again. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to cut because look at this great success I'm having while I'm in maintenance. It's going to be better if I cut, right? I dropped from like 2000 calories to maybe 1700. And for four weeks, I did that. Not a pound was lost. Changed nothing in my lifestyle, except I dropped 300 calories a day for 30 days straight tracking everything. And I lost no weight. And I was like, well, what the actual heck is happening with this? And I had not been in maintenance long enough. I had not given my body the time to really embrace maintenance and really live the life that I was like, live the lifestyle I was trying to have. I was, I didn't have enough calories for it. And so 
my body found a way to downregulate things. Like I probably sat a lot more. I, I, I found ways to conserve calories in terms of how I was expending them, even though I didn't think I was doing it. So that's why I didn't lose in a deficit. And I think that's why a lot of other women don't lose and correct. And ladies, I don't want to try to spout like things out there that, that misinformation. Um, but I think no, there's a lot Katie, of you just hit the nail on the head there. You thought okay. you were in a deficit, but you downregulated your movement and therefore you weren't in a deficit, even yeah. though you're like, I swear I am. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, the numbers said I was right. Mm -hmm. I had to be, and I know how to track, but other things happen and that, that we don't account for. So I couldn't get up off the couch at the end of the night. If the smoke detector went off, I would lie there, but, um, I was, you know, hitting my macros and unfortunately not losing weight. So anyway, I went back up to maintenance. I continued strength training and I have not been in a deficit since. I think that was like April of 2018 and I have not cut since that time. And so all of the changes, I probably dropped significant body fat and gained significant muscle between 2000 and 2200 calories for the last couple of years. Nice. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, and did you notice a big difference in your training going from cutting while training to being in maintenance while training? You know, I was, it was still, it was, strength training was relatively new for me. I'd started in January of that year and then I began to cut in April, I think. And so um, I was still kind of, th those newbie gains for 90 days were a beautiful thing. And I'm really glad I took advantage of them with food for as long as I did. I can't imagine what would have happened if I would have just kept on eating and not like sort of stalled my efforts. But you know, when you know better, you do better. And I didn't know better then. So my training got more intense in the sense that I, I really sort of stepped away from what I felt like I needed to do to burn calories. My, mm -hmm. my exercise or my training was, um, and I didn't, even, I couldn't, I couldn't articulate this at the time, but I'm lucky that my training was really more for, um, muscle building than it was for calorie burning. I wasn't like training so I could eat the way I had been years ago when I was going to orange theory six days a week, mm -hmm. it was for a different purpose. And I found that the food and the intake and the fuels actually what really made me see the changes that I had been building underneath. Yeah. For sure. Marcy, what has your experience with maintenance been? Oh, wow. This is a, a loaded question. Uh, so it's interesting because I don't even remember the specific dates and I'll be honest with you. I, well, apart from my dedicated fat loss days, that was from July of 2019 to about January of 2020, I had not tried to to lose weight or, you know, be in a fat loss phase for years. Sometimes I would just kind of like lose weight without really trying. And I know that sounds very counterintuitive, but I think it was just, oh, my activity increased or whatever the case may be. So I was able just to maintain my weight without really doing anything and then, or like anything, um, extreme, so to speak. So I was just kind of living my life and everything was good. And I don't know if I've shared this story here, but in 2000, I think 16, it was, I decided that I was done with pursuing physique goal and I wanted to work on getting really strong. So the impetus for that was I was dating someone who was a competitive power lifter at the time. 
And really where this came from was a place of low self-worth. So I was comparing myself to him, which I realize is just such kind of like a toxic mindset. Like, why are you comparing yourself to a 260 pound guy, (laughs) you know, but it was just like, oh, he, I'm, I've always been, or I had always been in my relationships, like the fitness oriented one who knew all the things. And like, I was showing my partners how to work out. And now I'm in, in this relationship where the person who I was with, I felt was so far ahead of me. And there was a lot of, I don't want to say shame. That's a very powerful word, but like insecurity around that. And so I kind of wanted to have what he had in a sense, um, as a way to make myself feel better. So I decided that I was going to go to his gym and hire his coach. And I went in there probably weighing 103 pounds. Like I'm a small, like very, like, I don't have tons of muscle on me, small bone. And I was comfortable at that weight. Um, and when I walked into this gym, I, it was a two hour interview process and his coach said, I will allow you to come work out here, but you have to gain weight. And he knew my background. Like he had an idea that I had a disordered eating past and that that was probably something that was going to scare the shit out of me. And to be honest, it was like, I had made a lot of strides in my relationship with food and my body, but there was still this sense of control that I wanted to have around what my body looked like. Because if I was in control of that, then I would feel safe. I would feel loved. I would feel accepted, all of that. So I hear this. And of course my mind does start to like freak out a little bit. Like, what is this going to mean? But I was so set on wanting to achieve these strength goals that I was like, okay, fine. I'm willing to do it. He's like, yeah, yeah. But there's going to be none of this half a pound, one pound per month bullshit that I know you're going to try to pull. You will gain as much weight as I tell you to gain in the amount of time that I tell you to gain it. So, yeah, I mean, looking back, like, I think this guy had, does have a lot of issues and there was like such a veil over my face, um, that I really couldn't see it. Like he was very manipulative. He knew how to screw with your mind to get a certain result out of you. So it's like, okay, yeah, sign me up. And I think in three months I put on 15 pounds. So I know that my highest weight when I was there was 119, um, which to a lot of people out there probably does not seem like a lot of weight, but to gain it that fast, like it was predominantly body fat and I was very, very uncomfortable. And like, what was so again, toxic about this environment was I had to step on the scale every single day. He would weigh me and I was, I remember driving there and like, well, I would eat a huge meal before I went, I would chug like a liter of sparkling mineral water just so it looked like my weight was higher than maybe it was. Um, so that was really, really difficult. And then uh, I had a weigh-in, like I was supposed to weigh X amount of pounds by a certain date. I missed it by, I think 0.6 and he kicked me out. So all of that work. And he was like, nope, you didn't hit your goal. You're out of here. So 
I left uh, and I begged him. I was like, please like, don't make me leave. Like I promise, like I'll gain it. And he's like, no, like I've, I've given you, given you the opportunity, you know, you didn't do it. So that basically shows where your priorities are, what you want. Kim, I'm, I'm seeing your face and I know it's, it's crazy. I've heard this story before, but every time I hear it, I'm like, what the heck was wrong with that man? I know. So, so it was like the walk of shame out of the gym. It was so embarrassing. And, and in his like, mind, I'm, was this a permanent kicking out? Or is this like you get leave till you, you've gained it? It was kind of like, it's a leave until you come back, you know, until you want it bad enough type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think I was trying to prove myself. Like I really didn't want it, but there was also this, I think this tie with my boyfriend at the time where I didn't want to look bad in his eyes. And so I, I figured, okay, if I can just prove myself, then th- the coach will think that like, I am worthy of being with my partner because Jeff was like basically his golden child, you know? And I always felt like they didn't think I was good enough to be with him. So it was a very convoluted type of situation. It was so anyway, I leave for a month. Yeah. Oh yeah. So much more than just wait. So Um, I leave for a month. I gain the weight. I come back and he was like, okay, you can train here again. And I think I was there for maybe the next nine months. And it was, it was awful. Like I hated every minute of it. Um, I really wanted to get out. I didn't know how to leave. Like it was wonderful in the beginning because I was getting stronger. Like everything that I wanted to achieve, I was achieving. And then when my progress started to slow down and I even remember Jeff, saying to me, he's like, I would not be training you the way that Ted is training you. Like it's not body. Like he's just, everything is all wrong about this. Um, so that made me feel a little bit better, but yeah, like my progress just kind of stalled and there was a lot of shame around it. Like a lot of shaming. If I didn't hit a lift, like to look at this appointment on his face, you don't, the things that this man said to me were awful. Um, and you know, you're never going to live up to your potential. You're lazy, you're weak. Like So anyway, I walked out one day and I never went back. Um, And I sat in, so going back to the maintenance, uh, I (laughs) sat in maintenance probably for, I would say a year. And that about six months after I left the gym is when I met Vince. Everyone I'm sure knows about my relationship with Vince Pitstick from Nutrition Dynamic. The man changed my life. Um, But we had to work on a lot of my health issues that I had not yet overcome and that was about a three month process. So it actually happened very quickly. But again, I knew even before reaching out to Vince, like I am not healthy enough to be pursuing fat loss. So I just have to sit in this discomfort. And, and it was challenging. Like it was not because like maintenance can be good, but not when you are not comfortable in your body. Right. So it's like, I really wanted to make these changes. Um, but it showed me a lot about what other people really care about. And that we think that it's how we look and it's really about like how we make other people feel and our energy and our presence when we are with them. So I had to do a lot of brain rewiring and belief shifting to disassociate what my body looked like from what my inherent worth was. So I do think that there was a, like a blessing or a lesson in this experience and it helped a lot with my own mindset. And then also how I coach my clients who are struggling when, you know, they have not yet reached their goal and 
maybe they do believe that my body is my worth or my value. And it's like, okay, well, it could be a while until you reach this goal. So you're going to have to wrap your mind around the fact that that is not true, you know, until you do get to this place. And even when you do get to that place, like sometimes it's not the thing that you thought it was, right? So anyway, um, I entered into a fat loss phase, yes, in June of 2019. It was a very, very aggressive cut. I He basically was like, do you wanna act like this is a competition prep? And I was like, yep, let's go for it, let's do it. My mindset was in the right place. I had the capacity, I had the discipline. Uh, I had the time. And so I like hit it really hard and it was fine at first. And then towards the end, it was a very difficult process. Um, and I ended up like reaching my goal, but after that we started to reverse and I, I reversed, I don't know, probably like six, eight months. It was fairly slow. And then I've been in maintenance ever since. And it's been wonderful. Like maintenance now is great because I am what I refer to as like lifestyle lean. And I was going to make a post about this tomorrow where it's like where I ended my fat loss phase was completely unsustainable. And Mm -hmm. maybe I would have liked that look, but I could not live my life there. My relationship ended there. Like I was moody. I was irritable. I had insomnia. I had brain fog. Like it was, it was not sustainable whatsoever. And now I'm at a place where I probably gained about 10 pounds since the end of that fat loss phase. Um, I'm sure some of it is muscle. There's definitely some body fat, but I have so much more, you know, for lack of a better word, balance in my life, uh, just when it comes to my overall food choices and my, my frame of mind around how I live. So for a very long time, I would not let myself miss a workout. I would not allow myself to not track my macros. I, I would bring food skills on vacation. Like I was just so robotic and structured. And now I'm at the place where I can maintain more effortlessly while being way more flexible. So, you know, going out to eat and like not tracking, missing workouts if I need to. And it's been wonderful. And then I also, I feel so much better. Like my insomnia went away and I, I don't have like intense hunger. I don't have massive cravings. Like my relationship with food is so much better. My relationship with exercise is so much better. So getting to that point has been a huge blessing in my life. And I recommend it for, for everybody. Like we cannot live in a deficit. Mm-hmm. You hit on a lot of the really important benefits of being in a maintenance phase, a maintenance phase, you know, at the time we can improve our relationship with food, that we can feel good, we can sleep better, and um, we can have more energy in the gym. So there's a lot of benefits that can come from being in a maintenance phase. Let's talk about when is a good time for a person to be in a maintenance phase. Who wants to chat about that? Well, Kim, we haven't heard from you. Do you want to talk about it? Oh, yeah. Hi. <laughs> I, will, I will talk about my experience and I will answer my own question. How about that? So, the, so I have, I was a lifelong yo-yo dieter, right? So literally from my late teens, from 19 all the way up until my early 40s, I was a yo-yo dieter. There was never a time in my mind that I was purposely not either trying to lose weight or thinking about when the next time I would lose weight was. I wasn't purposely taking a break from it. I was just kind of like, dang, I'm screwing around. Like, when am I going to like, when am I going to get my act together? There was no point that I was like purposely just trying to like, all right, I'm just going to maintain here. And so then I got my act together in my early forties, as far as like, how do you actually sustainably lose weight and keep it off and stop regaining it? 
but then I still had not done a maintenance phase. I was always like, I want to get leaner. Like in my mind, I always wanted a six pack and it wasn't, it wasn't until my gosh, maybe like four years ago that I realized like what it takes to have a six pack mm-hmm. is not the lifestyle I want. <clears throat> and I was fine with how lean I was. And I really wanted to focus on getting stronger. And so I had my, I talked to my coach and we said, I said, you know, I want to do a dedicated maintenance phase. Also, I was like, hello, I'm a coach. I should probably like actually have lived in maintenance before. I'm really coaching a lot of people. I was newer to the online space at this point. Um, so I did, I went into maintenance and I was in maintenance, I think like a year before I ever even considered cutting again, immediately noticed, um, you know, that my, my performance in the gym was better because I was not in this constant search for leanness, leanness, leanness. So that was one of the biggest benefits there. Um, I have since that time, you know, gone into multiple stages of now I'm going to be in a cutting phase. Now I'm going to be in a maintenance phase. Um, Currently, I am in a deficit after recovering from this insane illness that I put a ton of weight on. I've been working to lose that weight, and I have given myself like a firm, you're taking a maintenance break, whether you're done or not. I was originally going to say May, but I had the, I had a break uh, around Easter because I had a, I had just a lot going on in my personal life and the holidays, people coming to travel and my, um, my launch for my course. And so I really, I put myself in maintenance for a couple of weeks there. So I'm going to push my maintenance back um, into June, um, which coincides fantastically with a nice family vacation and my son's graduation party. So I'm kind of using that lifestyle break there to go for a couple of weeks of a maintenance break. Um, which brings me to my point is when is a good, when is a good time to take a maintenance break? It does not have to be when you have reached your ultimate goal weight. Mm-hmm. I have not lost all the weight that I intend to lose right now. I still would like to lose at least 10 more, probably 15, 16 more pounds. I'm not going to wait. I don't have to earn my maintenance break by getting to a certain number or getting to a certain size. It's a really great idea to plan in end times to your deficit phases and say, here is a time that I'm going to live in maintenance. It's going to help you feel better. It's likely going to help you be more, um, I I can't find words. What's the word adherent to your plan when you know, like, all right, I'm doing this for three more weeks and then I'm going to have, and by the way, we'll talk more like, what does a maintenance phase look like? It doesn't mean it's a free food free for all, right? I don't plan like the month of June, just like going crazy and eating all the things. Um, but I will have more calories to play with. It's going to make my travel easier. It's going to, um, you know, make attending these parties that I'm doing for graduation and whatnot easier to fit into my calories. So I'm just going to have more of them. So I would recommend that when you are doing a deficit phase, do not give yourself a firm endpoint as in, I will stop this deficit and go into maintenance when I reach X size, X pounds, um, X number of inches, but by X number of weeks or months, I'm going to take a break. And the break could be sustained. It could be like, hey, I'm going to take a three month. I'm going to take a six month. It can be shorter. I'm going to take a month. I'm going to take a couple of weeks. Um, But planning that in, I think is super important. I, I think a two to just sort of tag on to that, Kim, that keeping in mind that for a lot of us, the bridge from the deficit to maintenance often looks like a reverse, which is still a deficit. So mm-hmm. you I think a lot of people don't understand that a reverse is actually an extension of the cut of the deficit. And so if you're counting your reverse as your maintenance, you're not there. You're That's missing right. the mark um, because maintenance is, that point when you are adequately balancing your weight, getting an equal number of calories in versus calories out, 
And that is again, where the magic happens. And so to include your reverse as part of your maintenance period, if you're saying, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reverse, then I'm gonna do maintenance for a year, but your reverse takes you five months. Yes. You might wanna recheck your dates. And for those of you wondering, like, how do I even go about doing all of this? It really depends on what your plans are. So for me, if I'm going to take a month long maintenance break, I'm not going to slowly up my calories into a reverse. And that, I, that, that would take a really long time. Um, well, I have a coach, so I'm just going to tell my coach, Hey, like I want to take a maintenance break and he'll tell me what I'm doing. If I was my, if it was me, like when I'm, when my clients want to take a shorter maintenance break, like we're talking weeks or a month, mm-hmm. I just up their calories, 250 to 500 calories, depending on the individual, like how high, how high, how steep of a deficit were we in, but we just pop their calories up to 250, 500 calories. And you can do that if you want to go into a shorter term maintenance break. If you really want to see like, where are my maintenance calories? And I want to do kind of an extended time at maintenance, reverse dieting, which is just titrating your calories up a little bit at a time, watching what the scale does. And you keep kind of pushing that up over time. I'm keeping other factors the same, like don't, like up your cardio significantly at the same time, like you're still in the same deficit, right? So keeping the other factors the same or factoring them in. And then over time, seeing how high up can I go and maintain my weight? You will notice an initial spike in the scale of a couple of pounds, just like you will, you know, when you have more food in your body, when you have more carbs in your body over a weekend or something, the scale spikes up. It's not fat gain. It's now you have more food and you have more carbs. So when you start adding calories in, you might notice this. If it's if it's going up and up and up and is trending up, you're heading into a surplus. But we want to see the trend level out. Um, it will still bounce around and that's how you're going to know when you're in maintenance. Ladies, what else do you have to add? Oh, um, so it's interesting too because this has been my experience, how different we all are. And one of the things that I think bothers me about the fitness space is the, the sweeping generalizations that some coaches will make. Every woman should be able to eat 2000 calories. Every Mm. woman should be able to eat two, like, no, (laughs) not necessarily. And it can depend on a number of factors. So previous dieting history. How many times have you attempted to lose weight? How long have you been in a deficit for like an extended deficit? You know, like you said, Kim, you were a chronic dieter. I mean, I kind of was too. So starting at gosh, 17 years old before that I started weight watchers when I was a freshman in high school. So I was dieting from, you know, what, 14 years old up until like into my thirties. And it didn't always look like that, but I had an eating disorder in college. Like I was essentially without really knowing it anorexic in college. You know, I didn't like, wouldn't label myself as that, but based on my body weight and how many calories I was taking in. So I think I, I have done a lot of damage to my metabolism over the years that, that probably has a very long-term consequence. I am also hypothyroid. So that is going to influence the amount of calories that I burn at rest. So where I'm going with this is I could compare myself to someone else who maybe does not have such an extensive dieting history, who does not have the same, um, I mean, even genetics, I think can play a role because there is research done that, you know, certain people, like even at the same time or size, just burn more calories. Uh, they have a higher needs, right? So all of these things can be 
influential in terms of like how successful your reverse goes success. I say that in quotes, um, like what your maintenance calories actually are. So I will use myself as an example. Like when I was reversing up, my weight went up rather quickly. So I have put on now like about, I would say, I mean, cause yes, body weight does fluctuate anywhere from eight to 10 pounds from where I was at the end of my deficit. Now remind you when I ended my deficit, I was, I probably, I was, I was underweight. Like that was not sustainable. Um, so I needed to get up to a healthier weight, which is probably where I am right now. So it's not when I said earlier, like success in quotes, maybe someone would look at 10 pounds and be like, oh, that's an unsuccessful reverse, but it's what my body needed to be healthy. Mm -hmm. Right. However, if you are to look at the amount of calories that I am now able to eat, it is not what my predicted TDE, so total daily energy expenditure would be for me to maintain my weight. Like, I actually think what that is, is more of a surplus for me. So I could compare myself to, to someone else who is my body weight, my activity level, all of that, and is maintaining on 2,500 calories and feel like, oh my gosh, I'm a failure, right? What's wrong with me? Um, so really just keeping your eyes on your own paper, like blinders on, that is I think a really important thing to consider that everybody is so different. I think that is a fantastic point and a good place for us to end. There is a lot of talk and good talk out there. Women trying to show other women like, Hey, you can eat a lot of food and maintain your weight. But sometimes there can be this feeling of like, what the heck is wrong with me? Cause if I ate X number of calories, I don't maintain my weight. And so I think it's a really good reminder of what you just said, Marcy, keeping your eyes on your own paper and your own history and knowing that your body is not her body, whether it's how many, how low her calories are, how high her calories are. It says nothing about you and where your calories should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Still one yeah. approach. So important. Right. Yeah. Well, let me just like give one example of this to put it in perspective. Cause I did a post on it recently. Uh, I was down in Southern California a couple of weeks ago, visiting one of my good friends, Sohi Lee. I'm sure the listeners are familiar with her. Um, Sohi and I have a very similar dieting history. So I'm seven years older than her, but we met because we worked with an online coach. So we were eating like literally the same meal plan. We were similar in size, training the same way. Um, and then, you know, we ended our time with him and we've always kind of done things the same in terms of how we lift. I am more active than she is. I have more muscle than she does. We're the same size. We are, um, the same height again. Like I probably for a long time have just like had a higher step count, all of that, but she can maintain her weight on much higher calories than me. And she's stronger than me. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, I probably have more muscle yet. She can still eat more <laughs> and she's mm-hmm. less active. Right. So, so interesting. Just, yeah. It's so individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so just, don't compare yourself to other people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Fantastic. Well, this has been a great discussion. Fabulous first episode for this new re- reboot of the decades. Thanks so much for being here. Both of you, Marcy, Katie, all of us. This was great. Yeah. Yes. So all right. fun. We will catch you listeners next time. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Decades of Strength podcast. If you liked this, if it was helpful for you, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review wherever you're listening. It really does help our work get in front of more people. Thanks so much for being here with you and we'll see you again next week.